0: Hello and welcome, this is Reverend Mark Bishop, Interim Pastor here at St. Paul United Church of Christ in Wapakoneta, Ohio, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We say this because we try to live God's extravagant welcome. You are always welcome to be a part of our family at St. Paul UCC here in Wapak. May God bless us abundantly as we worship together. This morning, I want to take you on a scholarly theological trip to tell you about a recent amazing development in biblical study without boring you to death with all the details, I hope. It's easy to get lost in the details when we study the Bible. If we use all of our intellectual and spiritual tools to look at the scriptures we see how complicated it can be to interpret and to move from that ancient world, which was so different than ours, to this modern world with all of its confusion and change. When we look at how the experts study and translate the Bible to to begin with, there are professors out there based at the Institute for New Testament Textual Research, at the University of Munster in Westphalia, Germany, who study every word and preposition of the Bible in every manuscript that exists in minute detail. These very learned people, highly respected people, with very boring jobs, are mostly German professors who maintain a database of every detail of every known scroll or codex. A codex is another word for a scroll which has been cut, chopped into pieces which look like pages and bound together like a book with pages, a codex. These professors are the ones who supply the best Greek version known to us so that the many teams of translators can do their work. There are hundreds, literally hundreds, of English translations. Let's talk about three examples and then I'll move on. There are, we use the the NRSV translated by an ecumenical group sponsored by the National Council of Churches who finished their work in 1989 producing the new Revised Standard Version for the Protestant Church. The most popular selling Bible for several decades is the new International Version by Biblica. An organization which was founded in 1809 who finished their translation in 1973 from the original languages and then licensed it to Zondervan to print the actual Bibles and to market it. And then there is on and on, but the the 2011 revised New American Bible, which our Catholic brothers and sisters use, and I could go on, but I will not. We modern Christians are very blessed to have so many high-quality translations available for our study and prayer. But there is among us a rather shallow understanding of the differences between these many versions. According to a survey done by Purdue University in 2014, 55% of all English-speaking Christians prefer to read the King James Version, which was translated in Shakespeare's time using Shakespearean language. Lots of these and thous, And it's based on St. Jerome's Latin Version, already a translation. So the, the King James Version is a translation of a translation. St. Jerome's Latin version had several glaring errors in it that have been passed along. Now, granted that the King James poetry is wonderful at times. I, I, love, I love it. We all love it. But a lot has been learned since 1611 when it was published. Our gospel reading is from John this morning. Did you know that according to these boring German professors, Papyrus 66 is the best codex we have. Papyrus 66 was discovered, guess when? The best version of of the gospel of John that we have was discovered in 1952. Yes, you heard me correctly. The best copy of the Gospel of John we have was unknown until it was discovered in Egypt in 1952 and published about six six years later in 1958. Papyrus 66 is to believe to be a copy from the year 200. 200, that is 170 years after Jesus lived. And at least 60 to 90 years after we believe that John actually wrote his original Gospel of John. Yes, you heard me correctly. We do not have any copies which could be the original Gospel of John. We have only copies. There are literally a couple of hundred ancient copies of the Gospel of John. Many of them have holes in them because they are very old and they've, many have deteriorated in the weather. However dry in Egypt. And so there are different words missing in each book, in each codex. Therefore, when these German professors provide their version of the Greek New Testament, it has always been and will always be, unless we have some amazing archaeological discovery, a reconstruction from many manuscripts as many as were available at the time that the Greek text was reconstructed. Sorry, I said I wouldn't get caught up in the details. Believe me, this is, this is the, the overview. This is not the details. But this morning, I want to take you another level deeper into how this international team of scholars decide which is the best Hebrew or Greek Manuscript to provide to the translators. Every person who gets his PhD, his or her doctorate in any field related to the study of the Bible, must demonstrate a mastery of both Hebrew and Greek, and often another language like German, because a lot of the most well respected theology and biblical research has been written in German universities in the German language. There are other professors who study the differences between the oldest manuscripts that we have of each book of the Bible. These textual critics analyze and argue back and forth and debate about the best way to reconstruct what they believe John actually wrote. The Reconstruction is always an educated guess based on a combination of several manuscripts. All of this is a long way to lead up to a new educated guess about the first five verses of John chapter 11 that you see printed in your bulletin and you can read and compare when you get home uh, and you try to figure out, what was he talking about today? The long and the short of it is that in Papyrus 66, several name changes are obvious. You can literally see where the scribe crossed out Mary and wrote Martha, where he erased the one Greek letter that is that makes Maria and Martha uh, the different names. He changed Mary to Martha. And she, he changed the scribe, unknown scribe, changed Lazarus his sister to the sisters the sisters the international world of scholarship is right now debating whether martha was ever in john's original gospel now i just didn't want you to not know what was going on in the world this this is really i know it's really geeky bible stuff But this is really important. This is probably the most important interpretive issue that I've heard of in my 72 years. Because several name changes are obvious in the best preserved manuscripts, Mary's been crossed out by the scribe who was copying the text and changed to Martha. She's and change to the sisters. This international world of scholarship is right now debating whether Martha ever existed in the Gospel of John. Now, I'm not trying to erase Martha from the Bible. The Martha and Mary story that we know is from Luke chapter 10, not John. Okay, we're only talking about John and how Lazarus and his one sister Mary live near Jerusalem in the south in a town called Bethany. These Marys, Mary and Martha and Luke, and this one sister Mary are probably two different Marys. Some early church writers talked about Lazarus' one sister, and some early church artwork actually depicts the raising of Lazarus from the tomb with only one sister there. Some traditions hold that Lazarus' sister was Mary Magdalene. There are a lot of Marys to contend with, you know, in the Bible. And a lot of theories but this theory is very well grounded in the original, the oldest manuscripts that we have. Why would So the, the pressing question is, why would a scribe make such a change, split one Sister Mary into two sisters, Mary and Martha? I think there are two guesses that make sense to me. There are lots more guesses than that. You don't want to hear about all of them. The first may be that a well meaning, well intentioned scribe trying to fit together all the pieces of these manuscripts who knew the Gospel of Luke talked about Mary and Martha, corrected John's story to make it all fit together a little more smoothly. Harmonizing the Bible isn't something that we've invented recently. But the best way to interpret the, each letter in the, in the Scripture is to take it on its own, not to try to, to cross Gospels and put all the Gospels together as if they are one, because each of them are unique, and John is certainly one of the most unique Gospels that we have. The second reason that the scribe may have changed Mary in Splitter and two into Mary and Martha is one that I've always believed and that is that in the early church, the men who were exercising their leadership and control over the early church, especially about 200 years after Jesus lived, were concerned that Mary Magdalene was becoming all too important in their church traditions, and they were a little worried about what that was going to do and how it was going to appear. She was competing with Peter and Paul in importance, but especially Peter. After all, when you look at the rest of the Gospel of John, Mary is the one who understood, Mary Magdalene is the one who understood first that Jesus was going to die. So she anointed his feet with oil and wiped it with her hair. And John may have been implying that this Mary Magdalene was the one that confessed first that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And what is very clear is at the end of John, in the final chapters, Mary Magdalene, explicitly named, goes with Mary, the mother of Jesus, to the cross. And then after Jesus was buried, Mary Magdalene went alone to the tomb in the Gospel of John and was the first to see the stone rolled away. And that meant that she was the first apostle the first to announce the good news of Jesus' resurrection. She was the one who told the rest of the disciples, I have seen the Lord. There's even a tradition that translates the Greek word Mary the Magdalene as Mary the Tower. In other words, Magdalene is not where she's from. It's a description of her towering faith and witness in the early church. Mary the tower, Peter the rock, upon which God is building the church of Christ. So it's not a big jump to guess that the scribe making all these name changes, and literally in... Papyrus 66, Mary has changed literally dozens of times to Martha. You can see the pattern all the way through the manuscript, the codex. The scribe just didn't want her to also be the one who first confessed that Jesus was the Christ, because that it would put her in competition with Peter the Rock. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's Peter who plays this important role, confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. As I read the section in John, I want you to imagine that this was Mary Magdalene, whom the gospel was talking about, The original Gospel of John was telling the story of Lazarus' one sister, Mary. Beginning with verse 21, the changed text reads, Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give us whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Mary said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. The early church was basing, basing the leadership of of the church on Peter, on Matthew's story of Simon's name being changed to Peter the rock after he was the first one to confess that Jesus is the Christ. There he says, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Perhaps the well-meaning scribe didn't want the church to deal with the conflict that Mary Magdalene's growing importance was causing. But the inadvertent result was to minimize the amazing faith and witness of a woman that Jesus loved. Perhaps it's only now, in 2023, that we can hear that two people confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, a man called Peter, the rock, and a woman called Magdalene, the tower, a tower of faith. When it becomes clear to good Christian folks that there are many ways that our understanding of the Bible is unclear and that our knowledge is increasing and changing the way we understand these precious sacred stories and that there are many well-meaning changes made that have been made along the way throughout Christian history. It's often distressing. I understand that. I I don't mean to cause you spiritual distress this morning. We want to believe that there is one text that isn't subject to debate and questioning, (laughs) don't we? We really wish that, but it's simply not true. The Bible requires our absolutely most tenacious and determined intellectual effort to understand. It's something that, if you dedicate yourself to it as I have, will outlast your life. <laughs> You'll never get there. I don't, I'm sure that I will go to my grave understanding only parts of the Holy Scripture. But I want to end with one simple thought about all of this. Yes, our understanding of the Bible is changing. But don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. It's simp- a simple truth about how God comes to us. God always comes to us where we're at in ways that we can understand in our present situation. This unnamed scribe copying the Gospel of John may have saved this wonderful Gospel for the world to know 2,000 years later. Perhaps without these changes, the Gospel of John would have been rejected as too radical and not even made it into the New Testament. Now this sacred text of John is leading us, confirming our new modern understanding of the absolute equality of men and women before God. One is not subservient The other. In God's eyes, there is no east and west, no male or female. Now we are dipped, dipping into the well of God's powerful word, God's word of healing. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. God is affirming that God is still speaking, challenging us to grow in our understanding of the profound and equal witness of both men and women in the church. And I think the United Church of Christ can be a little proud and boastful of the long tradition that we have had of ordaining women. The first woman was ordained in the predecessor of the United Church of Christ in 1882, I believe. long time ago. Long before women were even able to vote. Perhaps it is now that we are ready to understand and live this new equality before God. God is still speaking. We say, through these holy scriptures, challenging us to grow and to understand new meanings. Praise be to God. Amen. We pray that you have found blessing and enrichment in joining us for worship today. As we are truly blessed to have you worship with us. Peace and blessings to you, and thank you for joining us today. If you would like to support the ministries of St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, you can do so in three ways. First, you can mail in your gifts to St. Paul at P.O. Box 147, Wapakoneta, Ohio, 45895. Secondly, you can send your gifts online from our website, stpaulucc.com. Lastly, you can text the amount you would like to give by texting us at 844-971-1800. Come join us again at St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here.